Father God, we adore you. We magnify your name. You are truth. You are holy. You are master. You are king. You are mighty. You are maker. You are creator. And God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, where many of us have experienced your presence, many of us have experienced things. We've seen some things. We've been touched by your presence. We've been used and utilized. And I pray right now in Jesus' name for an amplification of faith in this place, that you would release faith over all of us in our minds and our hearts. You would dismantle doubts. And God, where you go, I go. We come into alignment with what you're doing. We're not duplicating what was done last night. We get to bring the same word. But God, I get out of the way. And I ask you to bless our church with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So tonight, Experiencing God, it's actually the, the title for tonight's message is, um, my, comes from my daughter because she, I was telling her what I was teaching on and she, she said, and I was kind of wrestling with what, where to go with it because there's a couple angles you can hit this from. And she asked me, Mom, what's the big idea? Because that's a kid's church thing. In kid's church, they learn the big idea. So everyone, you're getting the big idea tonight. <laughs> Experiencing God, God still does. God still heals. God still does miracles, and he still uses mankind to do it by giving us incredible amounts of faith. 1 Corinthians 12 is the passage that we're studying in this whole series. But the two verses that I want to focus on are 9 and 10. So, continuing on, to another the gift of faith in the same spirit, and to another, gifts of healings in the one spirit, and to another, workings of miracles. It's important to note that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Hebrews 13, uh, verse 8. He is immutable, which means he is unchanging. That means the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God still does. He still heals. He still does miracles and he still gives us faith. So we build our lives and importantly, our thought lives on the rock who is Jesus Christ. That is our foundation. I come back to that over and over and over again because it is that important. It's what we hit the first week. It's what we hit the second week. I'm going to hit it the third week. Tim will hit it next week. Luke 6, verse 47 through 49. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So, we must build our unshakable foundation upon the word of Christ. 
He is the rock, and we build on him. But if we were honest, if we would be brutally honest with ourselves and potentially the person sitting next to us, that our instability, our wavering, and our doubts, this is going to be a key phrase tonight, our doubts come because our foundation isn't solid. For many of us, this brutal honesty is, is that that's because we haven't built our thought life on the supremacy of Christ, who is the Word of God. John 1, he is called the Word of God. We can make excuses all day long, but it is as simple as a sixth grade science equation. I don't know why that's funny to me, but I always go back to sixth grade science equation on this. Not huge into science either. This is the one thing that stuck out to me, I guess. <laughs> if we build our life on the rock that, it is, Je- that is Jesus Christ, then we will be unshaken. We will be unwavering. So, really, honestly, I wanted to approach tonight from a very transparent and vulnerable spot. I believe that transparency and vulnerability is, um, it provides an, an avenue for breakthrough. And if I may be that transparent and vulnerable in front of you, I've really struggled with the gift of healing the gift of miracles, and the gift of faith. It was always somebody else, somebody somebody out in California, somebody in Florida, somebody else. It's happening. I believe it. I believe that you can, God. I believe that you are, but not for me. And so I was riddled with doubts. I had the faith to believe that God could do it. He is able, but I wasn't pointing fingers at this one. I believe you guys can do it. In fact, I have many people in this room right now who have seen incredible amounts of healing and miracles and faith. But in here, very shaken and riddled with doubt. So, I wanted to approach this very vulnerably with that for you because uh, I've been delivered from it. And I want to I bring that to you as well. Because I believe that God is transforming our church through a message like this, through a series like this, through our midweek series. And I'm seeing some heads starting to nod, and we're going to get all the heads nodding in here. It's a yes and amen thing. So, I know what it's like to wrestle with doubt and skepticism. I may not look like it. Oh, but it was really real in my head. So, the good news is, well, it's Jesus Christ, but the good news is you can pray for healing. You can pray for miracles, and you will do so with great faith. And I want you to hear this, too. This message is for you. I know you're here, and and you want to be here, but this message is for you. This message is for you. This message is for every single one of you. This isn't one of those things where I just throw it out and I I hope some of you catch it. This is for all of you. This is for me. I'll point the fingers at me first. This is for all of us to be transformed tonight, right now. Yeah. So, God still heals. He still does miracles. And he still gives great measures of faith. The definition of healing. This one's really simple. A work of God to bring the body back into health. God does it. It's his will. It's his work. 
and he is the source. I didn't do it. It's not my will. It's not my desire. It's not my, my, my fortitude and my determination that does anything. I get to co-labor with Christ. We get to co-labor with his will, with what he's doing here on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to give you some bullet points. And we're gonna, I just want to run through these really quick. These could each be a message in and of themselves. But I want you to see how healing runs through, and it's not even an exhaustive list, but healing runs through the Old Testament, runs into the Gospels. I mean, we see a lot of Jesus doing healing, but it runs into Acts. It runs into the epistles. This thread runs all the way through the Bible. So Jesus heals 10 lepers. Jesus heals a blind man. And of course, there's many accounts of multiple people uh, being healed from blindness. A lame man brought by friends to Jesus in Matthew 9. Another lame man at the pool of Bethesda. The woman and the issue of bleeding or the issue of blood. So that's New Testament. Those are some out of the Gospels. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament, 2 Kings 5... Naaman is healed of leprosy. Elisha prayed for the Shunammite woman and her womb was opened and she had a son. Moses prays for Miriam to heal her from leprosy. Peter and John and the beggar at the gate called Beautiful now are into Acts, chapter 3. And then Peter's shadow in Acts 5. So, I feel like I'm making a confession right now. I am a thinker. I am a, an analyzer. But I think you could categorize me as an overthinker and an overanalyzer. Can I get an amen from anybody in here? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I research. And this is one of those things where I love to read. I love to listen to sermons. I love to, I'm, I'm always listening to the next thing or reading the next thing. And I've read tons of books on this stuff. But I want to impart to you this faith because some of the most beautiful moments of miracles and healing are when I had no clue what I was doing. I believed he could do it and I know he wants to do it and he will do it and I just got to have a front row seat. I'm, I'm, I'm in the front row seat going, okay. But it's his will, it's his desire, it's his power, it's his source. And that is the kind of thing that tucks us into his heart. He's not leaving us outside of his will. He's not leaving us outside of his presence. He wants each of us to be a part of that. And now, repeat after me. Yes, me. See, the power of life and death is in the tongue. We are coming into agreement with what he is doing. Being willing and able or being willing and available, not willing and able. So, for healing, a lot of times you'll hear this, and I don't even know if it's just our church or if it's just church-wide, but this believe and receive. You have to believe to receive healing. And I, I liken it to catching a ball. So if I'm going to throw a ball to you, you've got to catch it. You've got to catch the anointing. You're not going to think it through and then go, oh, I got it figured out. Okay, now I can receive. 
Uh Uh-uh. You catch it with faith. You just go, I toss it to you, and you catch it by faith. God, I received this. And that's one of the reasons why I've kind of walked you through. I received that. I received that. Put a little swagger into that one. I received that. All right. The next definition is miracles. Miracles are an event in the natural world brought about by the immediate agency or the will of God. So God's will, there's this event that takes place. There's actually a, um, a story in the Old Testament where um, some, a man dropped his axe into the water and Elisha prayed and the axe had floated. That's a miracle. That, that can't happen. There was no little tiny life raft on it that just went, and then it like, oh, it rose to the top. That axe head is scientifically going to drop to the bottom of wherever it was. But it rose to the water, and he was able to take it out of the water. That's a miracle. So, miracles occur to show that the power behind it is not limited to the laws of matter or mind. Keep, tuck that one in your mind, which is ironic. Because it interrupts fixed laws. So the, the term supernatural applies quite accurately. That's a quote from Stephen Brooks. An interesting question might arise from this. Does something have to break a natural law for it to be a miracle? C.S. Lewis defines a miracle as an interference with nature by a supernatural power. Obviously God. To interfere with natural law does not necessarily mean it's going to break that law. So a temporary interference... You know, I think, I think about the laws that God puts in here. The law of gravity is for us. That's not for God. He doesn't have to pay attention to the laws of gravity. Gravity is for us, right? I know that sounds silly, but you get it in your mind and you go, okay. So if there's this axe head rising to the surface of the water, that was a temporary blessing for that man because it was costly. The axe head was costly. So the Lord gave him a grace and a mercy and the axe head rose to the surface and he was able to retrieve it as opposed to, as opposed to having a loss from that. Very practical, very simple. But God interrupts the natural law momentarily for that blessing for that person. So miracles confound our rational mind. They can't be explained. How, how do you explain an axe head rising to the surface? How do, you, how do you explain Moses and the burning bush? Moses and the parting of the Red Sea or Joshua and the Jordan River. How did they happen? I don't know. I'm not supposed to know. We're not supposed to know. I think it's cool. I have, I have a list of things I think I'm going to talk to God about when I get to heaven. Can you, t- can you explain these, t- these things to me now? But right now, this leaves us in dependence and awe and wonder of who God is. Jesus turning water to wine. Jesus feeding the multitude. How did they happen? I don't know. How did, how did two fish and five loaves of bread turn out to feed a multitude of people and still return more than they even started with. Twelve baskets full. How, how did it happen? I don't know. Yay, God. Go, God. 
Peter walking on water with Jesus, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And let's not be missing the greatest miracle on earth, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And then subsequent salvation for us. We have the faith to believe that he's going to save us. We have the faith many of us have already functioned in prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, tongues. But when we pray for faith, when we pray for, for healing and miracles, it's, it's almost it's easier to pray for a word of knowledge or word of wisdom because it's still a little abstract. It's still a little like, okay... Maybe I could explain that one away. You pray for healing for somebody and it happens right there. Very, very tangible. And that is the very anointing that the Lord is releasing into us right now. Okay, so this does not say that we are turning off our intellect. You know, I've joked, I've got a lot of questions for God that have been unanswered right now. Our intelligence is a gift from God. It's okay to ask questions. But what we need to remember is is when we don't get an answer, we still trust him. Ask the question. But in your heart, if you don't get an answer, you still trust him. So the intellectual, the intellectual person should be a witness that what is impossible scientifically is then a verifiable miracle. So the person who is willing to ask questions, who, what, where, when, why, this is impossible, then it must be God. So rather than that turning a heart hard or into a skeptic, I can't explain it, then it must be God. He remains creator. He remains sovereign. That is unchanging, but it has to be a reality. It has to be a truth in our mind. Luke 18, 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Memorize that verse. That should be a battle verse. Pull it out. It's like your sword. What is impossible with man is possible with God. When I'm doubting, you know what? What is impossible for me is possible for God. It becomes a battle verse. So faith, the definition of faith. Faith is a firm belief, persuasion, or conviction that is based upon the absolute truth of God, not our present reality. I kind of want to go up here and, and circle and underline and highlight if I could. I think Rabbit would be mad at me if I actually touched this screen. But circle, underline, highlight, firm belief. Because it means it's not wavering. It's stable. It's steady. I believe God. I trust God. There's a passage in Romans 4. I want to give you a little context first. So Abraham, the story of Abraham, I know know many of us know it, but the story of Abraham was he was promised that he was going to be the father of many nations. 
And so in this, we're talking about the promise that is realized through the faith of Abraham. So starting in verse 13, here's a little bit of context. In verse 17, we're going to get to the point where we drive it home. So, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Sharing in the faith of Abraham. I want to share in the faith of Abraham. As it is written, this is verse 17. I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Oh, we did put it up there. Here's faith. Calling into existence things that do not exist. There's a miracle. There's healing. That is the faith of Abraham. Continuing on in, in verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. So, he's not in denial of the fact that he's as good as dead, right? Scripture says it. He is considering his body, and he's saying, okay. So he might have some questions, but he didn't doubt, and he didn't weaken in faith. The faith of Abraham, he didn't waver. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no belief made him, excuse me, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. So no doubt caused him to waver. He believed. I came prepared. You're expecting me to write it. It was already written. <laughs> that was a Bible joke. It is written. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for chuckling at that. That was awesome. Okay, take a look at this in verse 17. I have made you the father of many nations. He was not a father. I have made you. He spoke in past tense. It is done. So Abraham, or Abram at the time, renamed to Abraham, Believed God. Even when he considered his body, even when he considered the evidence before him, he believed God beyond that. And that God 
calls into existence things that do not exist. We co-labor with that in faith. So verse 20, I already read part of it. No unbelief made him waver. So he wasn't wavering. He wasn't unstable concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. There's another key, giving glory to God, thanking God, recognizing the source, glorying in the healer, not the healing, not the gift, but the giver. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for justification. The same model of faith Abraham believed regardless of what was going on here. This was unwavering. His mind was unwavering. Abraham was told a promise by God and he did not doubt. Even when he could consider the natural state of things, he believed God and established a hallmark of faith. He believed God, not doubting, but he laid hold of the promise that God had for him. So, hindrances and obstacles to receiving these things. Very simply, doubt. I used to believe that doubt was the absence of faith. But in Chris Gore's book, Walking in Supernatural Power of Healing, he talks about how doubts can coexist with faith. I was ministering to a gentleman on Monday, actually, and I was, I was praying for his ankle. And I love how transparent and vulnerable some people are because what he said slipped into my message. <laughs> it's like, here's a nugget. You can use this later. But he said something that it, it's not, he said, Amelie, it's not a question that if God is able to heal me, it's will he. Will he? The answer from Jesus himself is, I am willing. Matthew 8, verse 1 through 3. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He is, I mean, the leper says it. There's, pretty, there's authority here. You can. I know you can. If you are willing. Same, same question that this gentleman asked me. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This is profound because, first of all, Jesus, not only did Jesus say he was willing he took action. He reached out. He put his hand out and he touched the man. So the man came to him. He reached out to touch the man and heal him of his disease. It was interesting because actually back in that culture, if you had leprosy, you had to 
step aside on the road and say, unclean, unclean. You had to make it known to people that you had that disease. So this was a mercy. Jesus, are you willing to touch me? Oh. And he says, I am willing. Now, he is making a bold statement here. This is not just a circumstantial statement relegated to this passage. He's revealing the very heart of God. Because he says, you haven't seen the Father, but you've seen me. So you have seen the Father. Because I reveal the Father. That was Jesus. That was part of, well, a lot of what Jesus did was reveal the Father to mankind. And in this instance, I am willing. But I want you to take a look at this in a different way. I am willing. Let's see that slide. He's making a very bold statement here. The I am. The memorial name of God. He is connecting in his presence to the memorial name of God that was spoken to Moses in Exodus. Moses was charged with going back into Egypt to deliver the Israelites. And he said, okay, but who am I going to tell them is sending me? I am. I am that I am. This is my memorial name. You will remember me. This is me establishing something. So when Jesus says, I am willing, I am still willing. But this is also a prophetic statement for us. So he's connecting with the past. I am willing. God is willing. I am, I am. (laughs) I am that I am. And then a prophetic statement. Now we go back to what I first said. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Unchanging, unshakable, unwavering God. So that prophetic statement, that future forth-telling statement is for us. He identifies the nature of God by connecting to the I am, declares that he desires to touch us, reaching out, and then the statement, drawing from the past, connecting to the present, propelling into the future. It is for us right now. It is for us right now. It is for us tomorrow. But many of you even took that. You said, okay, I'll leave it for tomorrow. No, it's for today. Yeah, I'm going to let that one sit for a little bit. Sit in a little slow cooker. Let it simmer under the surface for a little bit. You think I won't. I'll make you uncomfortable. (laughs) All right. Doubt is dangerous. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom. Now, this passage is talking about wisdom here. But we're going to press in for faith on this one. We're going to press in for healing on this one. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe, or another word in another translation is, you must have faith and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And in fact, it says that person should not expect to receive anything from God. They really aren't. 
that person is not expecting to receive. I know you can, but I don't know if you will. The doubt is dangerous because God will. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If you think about that rock, let's go back to the rock that we were talking about in Luke 6. If we have one rock, it is very stable. We have a foundation that, we, that is laid. But if we chop that rock in half, it becomes unstable. It's not one piece anymore. It shifts. It moves. But you know what's even worse? That says double-minded. But too many of us are like triple, 10, 30-minded because we hack at it. We take, we take the sword, our own sword and we go hacking at our mind. And we chop it up. We chop up the word to pieces and go, yeah, well, I don't know. And we're doing, ah, I don't think so. Maybe not. We become skeptics rather than faith-filled people. So doubting causes division. This causes the wavering of instability. And we won't receive anything. That's uncomfortable. Because then that puts, it, that puts that in us and we go, mm, I got to take that before the Lord. I have the faith. But are you willing, God? His answer is yes. And in that story, that was a father taking a son to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, oh, wait, that was the leper. There was another story. Let me read this one to you. Never mind, not in my notes, not going to read it to you. <laughs> so, we find this instability because we do have faith, but we have the doubt there. That, that doubt in there causes that instability. The root word for faith or belief in this passage is the word pistis, which means the conviction of the truth of anything or belief. Conviction would be that firm belief unwavering belief, especially regarding the absolute truth of God. Now, the root word for doubt is diacrino, which means to separate, to make distinction, to separate oneself in a hostile spirit, to oppose, to strive with dispute, contend, hesitate, or doubt. This is the picture of brokenness. And when we doubt, we're separating. We're breaking it apart. We're trying to make a distinction between these things. We're trying to understand things. It's important that we don't fear this, though. Sitting here and you're going, okay, how am I going to make the leap? How do, I, how do I go from where I'm at to this faith that you're talking about? How do I get there? Let's do it. Okay, I'm ready. Ask God for it. Ask, seek, knock. I'm not going to go through the whole passage, but we talked about it in Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You're asking for a good thing. You're asking from for the very thing that God wants to give you because he blessed Abraham because of his faith. It was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. We share in the faith of Abraham. We are modeling ourselves, so we ask God for it. 
All right. So let's make so, let's make healing, miracles, and then faith working together practical for you. Now this comes from Randy Clark. Uh, it's a kind of five step uh, prayer model. I added a couple of kind of contingencies up at the front. So first of all, you want to pray from who God is, not from who you are. If you pray from who you are, you're praying from lack. You're praying from, defi- from deficiency. You can't do it. I don't have anything to give to Foley if I'm going to pray for him. But I know who does. So we're praying from who he is. Now, Scripture says that we are in Christ. So if I'm in Christ, I am praying from that position. So when I pray for you, when you pray for someone else, you're praying and you're releasing that. You're blessing a person with that. So you're praying from who he is, which again is why the central focus is we must know who Christ is. We must know who God says he is. Who does God say that he is? I am. That was a good one. He also says he's Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God that heals. He still does. Yes, right now. He still does. So we have to know his nature, his goodness, his will. I am willing. Number two, take the pressure off. I have been the queen of putting the pressure on me. Oh, I have to perform. Oh, I have to do this the right way. I have to have the right words to say. No. The pressure's on him. I just get a front row seat to what he's doing. You get a front row seat to what he's doing. Do you want a front row seat to what he's doing? It is so exciting to be a part of it. And we glory in who he is. So, um... A few weeks ago, I was healed from a chronic neck um, injury that I had received from a go-kart accident. Um, I know, I get laughter all the time. Like, you, a go-kart accident? Yes. So anyway, I had some soft tissue damage and whatnot. And I just really honestly settled with the lie that I was just going to live with this for the rest of my life. Just when it flared up, I'd, I'd deal with it, whatever. So I had some people praying over me. They were praying over me in, in the little overthinker that I am, I was sitting there receiving prayer, and I was listening to the words that Kim was praying over me. It was Pastor Kim and Julie Tennyson, and um, I was like coming into agreement. Okay, yes, I I agree with that. Yes, 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 and God admonished me. It was kind of like a little slap on the hand. He said, it is not about the words that they're praying over you. It's about my spirit. Yeah, and then he said, get up and shake it out. Not shake it off, not Taylor Swift. I was standing right here. So I I got up and and I was healed. He said, move your neck, move your arms. And I was able to just, I mean, if anybody saw me the the day, the five seconds before it happened, I couldn't turn my neck. I mean, much more than this. So when I was driving, I was very dangerous. I would be like, okay, I can, I can merge. I can, I can get into the other lane. Could hardly raise my arm up. Wasn't sleeping good. I mean, it just, it was a mess. I was discouraged. I was frustrated. In that instant, I, w- I was instantaneously healed. Pain gone. I have it actually on recording. Um, I recorded it on my phone because I was just recording a prayer session. 
I jump up and I'm, I won't, I won't yell into the microphone. I jump up and I'm, I'm yelling, I'm yelling at Kim and, and Julie and I kind of feel bad and I'm like, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. No, seriously. No, look. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, seriously. And they're, they're looking at me going, I see you. I, I see. So I go running out of this room because there's power in the testimony. I go running into our youth offices. Will, Joe, and I think Kyle was in here, in there. And I do the same thing. <laughs> I'm yelling at them. Why I was yelling at them, I don't know. But I'm yelling at them. I'm not kidding. Seriously. And I'm moving my arm around. And they had just prayed with me a little bit before, 30 minutes before. They knew I couldn't move. They, and I'm rolling my head around. I, didn't, I had to use my own hand to bend backwards and lift my own head up. I, I got all my range of motion back instantaneously. And then I was like, who wants to be prayed for? It's here. We're praying. Seriously. Who? It's here. Anointing right now. Who wants to be prayed for? Come on, bring it in. Bring it in. And you know what? That was a gift for me. I believe. I'm not saying that the Lord gave me the, the chronic condition, but he blessed me with that healing. Because all doubt, whoo! Talk about a deliverance on the spot. I was healed physically. I was healed mentally too. That doubt was gone. So not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Zechariah 4. That means not your will, not your desires, not your feelings, but because God loves his people. The same gentleman who was saying to me, I don't know if God will heal me. And... It just felt so simple, but it was so profound. I looked at him. Because he goes, he said this. He said, foot up. It's just an ankle. And I put my hands on his ankle and I said, because that's important to God. God loves you. We forget that. We think, okay, I'm saved. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm good. God loves you. God wants to minister that love to you. So number three, go with gratitude. Psalm 100, we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We enter into his presence with thanksgiving. We come into intimacy with praise. It's one reason why we we talk about worship is not just about singing songs. Worship is about pouring out your heart before the Lord. Yes, we sing songs, and they're written very profoundly and powerfully because corporately we come into agreement with those things. But when, when you sometimes get off the words of the song and you are singing out, and it doesn't matter what your voice sounds like, and you're worshiping and you're pouring, pouring your heart out to him. Mm. Mm. Mm, I just released that to you. You're going to catch that one. Just catch that one. There, I received that. All right, go with gratitude. So you're going to thank God for his healing, his nature, and his presence. You lay hands on the person. Foley, come here for a second. God, I I just thank you so much for your healing and your presence and your power. And God, I just just bless Foley with that right now in Jesus' name. And you would just dismantle any doubts in his mind. And God, I just bless him with your presence and your love and your mercy and your loving kindness. God, I thank you 
that you want to heal him. I thank you, God, that you, you are healing him right now that, where I can't even see. What, 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 what are we praying for? Okay. That was cool. <laughs> I love when God changes my message completely. So, Lord, I just bless fully right now in Jesus' name with healing, even immediately right now. God, thank you. God, the congestion would go away. There would no, be no inflammation or swelling in Jesus' name, and I bless him because, God, you do want to. Colds are not something we put up with. Colds are not just something that we all catch once a year or twice a year. I break that curse in Jesus' name, and I release over you the blessings of healing right now. You would be decongested right now. Your headache would go away. The sinus pressure, any pressure and soreness in your neck in Jesus' name. And I just bless you because God does love you. God does care about these little things. I bless you with that. I bless you with healing in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I know some of you just heard me pray in my prayer language. Um, We're going to teach about it next week, which is super cool. We're going to get into that. Um, A public tongue. I was praying for him. A public tongue must have an interpreter. Um, A private tongue, which is what that was, which I should have taken my microphone off. But um, So if you heard that, we will be discussing more of that next week. So anyway... um, so we thank God. Then we, what I would have done in, in a different case, because I wasn't going to do that, um, <laughs> you're welcome, <laughs> um, was to, I would re-interview the person. I would ask, I would stop for a second and say, are you sensing any changes, anything like that? Um, and a lot of times they will say things like, uh, I just, I can, I can breathe again. I've, my headache went away. Or, um, a couple days ago, I was praying with somebody, and they had pain in... Oh, no. It was, it was last night. She had pain in her rotator cuff. The pain moved to the back of her back. Pain gone here. Pain moved to the back. So I just moved where I was. I prayed that off. And, and then... So you, you re-interview, and then you... Oh, yeah. We got it. Okay. So you interv- interview the person. So you started praying. You interview the person. No, you interview the person first. Whew. Then you continue in prayer. You re-interview, continue in prayer. I think that's the next one. Yeah, good. And then eight, thank God. (laughs) Yes. Yes, thank God. We glory in him. And then we persist in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. I love this model from Mark 8. Very shortly, we're going to... Get up and do worship. Where are my worship leaders? I got Sean. Oh, you do. Okay, we're close. We're good. Okay, not yet. So Mark 8, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Why do we persist in prayer? Jesus did. We want to be Christ-like, right? I look at this story, and I'm like, why? Why Why did it? Jesus is the word. He speaks it. It happens. I believe this is a nugget of truth for us where we go, 
Persist. Press in. You're not praying one time. You press in. Pastor Will, he injured his knee a few weeks ago, and he has pressed in for healing multiple times, over and over and over. And he is thanking God for every incremental change. That thanking God brings breakthrough. It's persistence. It's passion. It's your whole heart. It's not half-heartedly. It's not half a mind. It's not a 30th of a mind. It is a whole heart, single focus, single-minded. In order to receive God's healing power, there must be firm confidence that it is the will of God to heal. Healing is not based on chance or randomness. It is not the healing lottery. Will I or won't I? You know, if you play the lottery, you hope to win, but do you really expect to? Right? I'm, yeah, I'm getting a lot of no. Would it be nice to have won that 99.99 billion or I guess billion, whatever? You'd hope to, but you didn't really expect to. This is not the healing lottery. This is not randomness or by chance. This is a God who loves us and wants us to pull his promises here into our reality. He wants us to see our present reality mirror his absolute truth. So if it's not in alignment with his truth, it may be our reality, but that doesn't mean it's his truth. We align with that. So my friend Julie reminded me of something earlier today. She said, when we are praying for healing, it's because we're pr- we have this place of, oh, we're coming from a place of obedience. Obedience is incredibly powerful. And we are obeying God. We are praying with power and authority. So thank you for reminding me of that today, Julie. So tonight, really what we're going to focus on when we press in for worship, and you guys can go ahead and come up now, is we are recognizing Jesus our Savior. A lot, of, a lot of times we recognize him as our Savior, but are we recognizing him as our healer, as the giver of every good and perfect gift? Tonight, we're going to press in. God is releasing a new measure of faith over our church. And the time is now. We are pressing in, and he is releasing it over us. So we're going to receive more faith by faith. (laughs) Right? We live in the times that Jesus spoke of. And I want to dare you to believe. Hope and believe. And don't miss it. Jacob said, when he had that encounter with God at Bethel, surely God is in this place and I didn't know it. God, open our eyes right now in Jesus' name. Release over us the things, awaken in us the things that we haven't previously seen. The time is now. And God, I pray you would remove the rocks, the strongholds, the doubts. You are holy, you are mighty, and you are king.